This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, a very good morning to you. You're listening to The Morning Run. It's 6 in the morning on Tuesday, the 5th of July. I'm Philip C. And in the studio today with me is Wong Xiaoning. A very good morning to you. Good morning, Philip. We have survived. It's Tuesday. We survived Monday. What do you mean? It's only only (laughs) day two of the week. We have so much more to do. So much more to achieve. You know that's not going to happen, but never mind. We try our best on the morning run. I know. I mean, I think like I also was like yesterday was a super packed day for me. And I'm also feeling relatively exhausted considering that we're only at the early part of the week. Okay, guess what I'm looking forward to? What are you looking forward to? To the fact that next Monday is a public holiday. <laughs> well, I'm actually taking a leave on Friday. So I'm excited because like this week and next week, it's a four-day work week. And I'm sure many people will be relishing that. Yeah, I think um, there are already a warning that traffic will be heavy on the highways. So yes. A lot of people are going back to see their family for Hari Raya Haji. So for those who are travelling, maybe they're already taken leave and they're going early. Be safe on the roads. And I think we don't have any more long weekend kind of holidays until end of August, uh, mid-September, I think Merdeka and M- Malaysia Day. Well, aren't you a bit of a Debbie Downer? <laughs> well, I'd rather be a Debbie Downer than an optimistic Olga. But in any case, we have a very packed show today because at 7.15, you know, last Friday, the government announced its decision on the appointment of the new commissioners for the Human Rights Commission of Malaysia, short for Suhakam, three months after the previous commissioners ended their term in April. So we speak to Seven Dorasami, Executive Director of Swaram, to get his perspective. Then at 7.30, while the surge in the dollar has set Asian currencies on the course for the worst quarter since the 1997 financial crisis, uh, we're going to find out whether this has created some headache for the central bankers and where the currencies are headed. And for some of us, it might actually bring back some very bad memories. It is, because it's reminiscent to the 1997 Asian financial crisis. When you were like five, right? You know, I was actually a teenager heading into university and was very worried about my career prospects at the time. Yeah, a lot of parents were very worried whether in the first place they could fund their children's education because the pound, Australian dollar, the US dollar all went appreciated very strongly against the ringgit. I was just starting work and also like you, but actually in the job market, was worried whether I could ever get a job. That's right. That's really tough part. And at 7.45, we're going to have a discussion with following the government's announcement to set up the special task force on jihad against inflation. Dr. Shankar Nambia, head of research for the Malaysian Institute of Economic Research, gives his perspective. All this and more today on The Morning Run. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Be Still, My Beating Heart by Sting. This is The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. And I'm here together together with Wong Shaoning. You know what typically raises my heart? Incompetent managers. Who are you referring to, Philip C? <laughs> I'm looking at you. About? I'm looking at huh? you, Shaoning. Who are you talking about at 6 o'clock in the morning? How dare you? Are there any items to throw at him? I need to look around the, the you studio. You can throw the mouse at me. Not a problem. <laughs> All my earrings which I have taken off. Or the phone. Uh, what else can I reach for with my short arms that I can swing across the table? Exactly. But I think this is what I think causes a lot of consternation, a lot of worry as people drive to work. Because... You know, honestly, I'm sure most of you think your managers are incompetent, <laughs> useless, hopeless, no good, I all can for do nothing, their job. hopeless. I could do their job Why easily. are you paying them so much? We can hear all the angst coming <laughs> out, right? We've clearly felt all these emotions, haven't we? I, I, I have. I have felt it many times. <laughs> Maybe not for your present bosses. Let's put a caveat there. Okay, I'll put a caveat to that. No problem. <laughs> uh, but it's true. All of us have felt it, right? All of us have wondered, what is going on in this office? How can these people ever get to their position? What? Why, did, why are they there? How did they get there? 
So I think. And then what do we do? <laughs> do we stay in our job? Do we just look at them? Do we help them? Do we move on? What can I we know. do? What can we do to help them? This is the issue. I think most people think, okay, we do need managers. Managers do value add. If you put the if you do if you put the right person in the job, there's of course the whole issue about look. We live in a in a country where we need structure, we need hierarchy. So because of the need for some form of organization, naturally you need managers, right, to yeah. to structure the decision making. But what frustrates most people really is the person in that role. Uh yes, unfortunately, and I okay so. I think it also depends on the type of organization, right? It really varies. But mm. basically, if you just drill down to it, yes, unfortunately, I think in inevitably in anyone's career, you will come across a boss where you just cannot figure out what are they doing there. You, you, I think so. And you just, you try to find the glimmer of hope that there's some bit of good in that person. Mm. But sometimes you really, rec- you have to recognize that, okay, this is this is not happening. And then what do you do then? And, and I think for me, having good bosses and bad bosses both are very essential for your own personal development, yes. for you to become a better manager later. I remember when I, in my early jobs, and I remember this particular manager, and I just looked at that person and told myself, I do not want to be him. Hmm. I, I'll say it's a him. I do not want to be him. Everything that he has done, I don't want to do because it just creates so much unhappiness in the office. There's, it serves no purpose. Nobody gets any work done, which is why we are here. And it's extremely demoralizing. So I don't want to be this person because this is not how to lead an office. Mm. So even though you might have a bad boss, there's always a takeaway. And that, that takeaway is a life lesson. Because I've learned it, right, that um, in the end of the day, don't bully your staff, for example. It serves no purpose. There's, there's no point. So as a, as a person who has managed and is managing and also has had a boss before, I think one of the biggest challenges of a boss is that, you know, employees have different expectations of the yeah. boss. For example, for some, it's, I want my boss to understand my work and understand me and all the challenges I have. There's another type of employee that says, I want my boss to give me cover mm. in case I have to deal with a lot of things outside my control. Yeah, when the toot hits the fan, right? Yes. I want my boss to protect me. And it's also the third boss. I want my boss to give me specific direction and steer, right? And, and, someone I, and I can bo- do the work. And someone, their boss to be their agony aunt, right? To to mm. think about them in like in a very like caring and nurturing way. Some people require that. Exactly. And some people just say, look, I just want you to manage this piece of work. I'll do the rest. Mm. So I think the biggest challenge with managers is that they are asked to do many of these things. The expectation setting between the staff and the bosses sometimes is not discussed or aligned or aligned and that creates so much issue so i know sometimes we make a lot of issues that our bosses are incompetent and such but i think that communication must take place yeah and also i think there is a little bit of uh, a reminder that your boss is human uh there's only so much they can do sometimes Mm. and they're also facing extreme stress right so that's the reality of the job the you know as much as you think sometimes they're incompetent but maybe they are Right, you could be the one thinking about it wrongly. Uh, they too have a lot on their plate, and it you know. So imagine, right? You are reporting to one person. This person, in ironically, might be reporting even though they are his juniors or her juniors. They are reporting to seven or eight or nine or ten or maybe twenty, thirty, forty people. That's a lot to manage. Yeah, and you keep having to adjust how you communicate with one, two, three, four, up to forty, fifty, one, you know, one thousand. Who knows, right? It's exhausting in itself. Whilst you still, as a boss, always have your own KPIs to deal with. 
So perhaps as you drive to work, perhaps a little bit of empathy for your boss. We'll be heading into a quick break. When we come back, rotisserie chicken. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Ready to Start by Arcade Fire. Are you ready to start your day? You're tuning into The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. together with Wong Shaoning. And we continue to add to your fountain of irrelevant knowledge. <laughs> Don't say that. It's very relevant. Excuse me. Well, I'm not sure. We curate these stories very carefully, okay? Really, do we? But yes, okay, we fine. do. Okay, fine, we do. But anyway, the next topic is about rotisserie chicken, Shaoning. <laughs> so. it, it's more than that, okay? It's more than just rotisserie slash roast slash grilled whatever chicken, okay? It's, it's, it's a clever story. It is a clever story. I love this podcast from the Wall Street Journal. It talks about how in the United States, rotisserie chicken or chicken on, I think, the grill, uh, where you can buy one whole chicken as it is, remains very much uh, um, affordable, right, in these very difficult times when inflation has gone up to such a high level. So there's a huge war in supermarkets in the United States that the rotisserie chicken is still at four ninety nine US dollars, which is considered pretty affordable very in the United affordable States. Very affordable when the price of raw chicken is even higher than that, right? So I think that's yeah. the point of this podcast. How is it possible that most supermarkets are selling this roast chicken at a price lower than a raw chicken. And I think they, they reference like Costco, for example. Yeah. And then they go into this whole explanation as to why. So the natural guiding principle is that it's such a popular item that it's viewed as a loss leader. It's viewed as the item to bring shoppers into the supermarket so that they buy other stuff where they can basically cream the margin. So they don't mind losing margin or even operating at a loss for this product so that they can basically secure margin and other things. Because look, you don't just buy the roast chicken alone. You have all the condiments, the side dishes beside it. Mm. And in the end, you also will buy many things like the drinks and such, right? That's where you make the profit. So I think for many supermarket chains in the United States, the roast chicken is the lost leader. Yeah, and lost leader as a, as a means of getting people into their shops is not new. We practice it here in Malaysia mm. also. So typically, if you look at, uh, especially as you head towards the weekend, you can see the supermarkets, all of them, they'll be putting up lots of advertisements, highlighting, you know, discounts on most of the essentials. So it could be like, you know, the milk, uh, it could be fruit, it could be fish sometimes. Um, sometimes it could be a popular brand of a drink or whatever. And you notice that the price is very affordable. Sometimes there's losses on that. And the supermarket sure. doesn't mind because at the end of the day, when I go in with my trolley, I'm not just going to fill it with 15 bottles of oil, for example, which is that loss leader. It's going to be two bottles of oil and then... 200 ringgit worth of other stuff which are not lost leaders, right? And <laughs> yes. that's what the supermarket is counting on. And the question is, where do you place these lost leaders? Because the rotisserie chicken usually sits at the right at the bank, back of the supermarket. So that you have to make your so way you there, right? So you make your way there. So typically, that's why you don't see vegetables and fruits as lost leader because they are at the front of the till. So what people, people typically do is they move it to the back so that you're journeying through the supermarket. And because of this whole move, right, to have a lost leader, I think many people have gone to extreme measures just to make sure they can bring the cost down. So even as you say, Costco, they even have their own chicken poultry processing plant. Mm. And Costco, by the way, is the probably the largest discounted 
a supermarket chain in the US where you have to buy everything like super yeah. bulk. So toilet paper comes in like a hundred rolls, you know. I've seen packages of uh, Nutella, my goodness, half my size, <laughs> uh, which I find very fascinating. I'm like, I want to buy that, but I'm not sure how many years it'll take me Could to finish it. eat yourself in the process. Yeah. I'm like, hmm, this is 25 kilos, half my weight. But I'm just curious, how many years would it take me to finish this? Something like that. Correct. So I want to just build on the the point you made about lost leader in Malaysia, because we talk about staples like rice, that's not really the typical lost leader here, no, is not, it? Um, sometimes there is some discounting, but the margins are really, really thin. Yeah, uh, and people do shop around. Typically, it's more like a, a brand that people. Uh, it's the periphery stuff, not the thing that you like to get, you want to get, but it's not really core and necessary as well. Like the rotisserie chicken in the United States, that's not necessarily core to everyone's diet, but. You know, you will buy occasionally once a week because it's so versatile. Yeah, I think Malaysia, maybe the lost leaders are more things like a, a brand of coffee, for example, a, yeah. a brand of a chocolate drink. Those are quite common. That's true. Uh, maybe it's a brand of a ice cream that you like, things mm. like that. And there's a lot of negotiation that goes behind the scenes actually for a lost leader between the supermarket and even the, the brand itself, right? How many units are they going to sell? How much discounting that's going on? Where's the positioning of that item, like you say, at the back of the store? But it's all a ploy, if you ask me, a psychological ploy, isn't it? To get people to go to the store and then just buy other things. So it's very important when we're seeing high inflation that we are very careful also with how supermarkets also position themselves. You know, especially in this part of the world where we're talking so much about chicken, right? Where it's Mm. basically under so much pressure. And as you know, we're going to have a lot more conversations about inflation in the coming weeks ahead because it's going to be a very serious topic. But you can be sneaky. Just go in and buy that chicken and then walk out. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. The the wisdom for today, buy just the chicken only. We're heading into the 6.30 News Bulletin. And when we come back, we'll be looking at the latest international headlines. Coming up, one headlight by the wallflower. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was only Heather by Wild Nothing. It's 6.40 in the morning, Tuesday, the 5th of July. You're listening to The Morning Run with me, Philip C. and Wong Shaoning. Now, let's like, take a look at the stories that made international headlines this morning. Shaoning, what caught your eye? Oh, this very sad news uh, coming out of Chicago. I'm actually looking at the Singapore Straits Times for news on this. And it's gunmen sought after killing six at July 4th parade in Chicago. And I was also listening to the stories as I was driving to work on the on BBC World Service. And people are still going to hospitals as we speak, to turning up in hospitals with injuries. But what we do know is so far... Six people have unfortunately died, five on the scene, and an injury unknown because it's still ongoing. And it was because a man actually armed, uh, sorry, a gunman armed with a high-powered rifle uh, shot people at a parade to mark the U.S. Independence Day in a wealthy Chicago suburb. I think this is another shocking shooting that's happening in America, especially on Independence Day. We had a we had a reported yesterday as well the shooting at Copenhagen's shopping mall. So it is very worrying when it's being done when it's when these shootings are taking place in these populated areas. The man identified is called Robert E. Cremo the third, number twenty two, and is considered very dangerous. And as you said, six people have been killed so far and at least twenty four people have been taken to hospital. You know when you think about this, right? I, you you're just start you're just still shocked that America has these very relaxed gun laws um, and that both parties, the Republican and the Democrats, cannot come to an agreement as to what is the best way forward. I mean, there has been some progress, but probably not enough. Mm. And in America, you see headlines of gun shooting almost every other day. 
And you wonder, do you? it must be very fearful for people to live in an environment like this. I had my brother, he, he studied in Yale, and one of the big worries he had was he could hear gunshots everywhere, even where he was studying, which was at Yale. So I think you're right, it is very worrying that these things happen and it's quite prevalent and expected, you know, in the United States. Mm. I think we've seen the statistics. It's really shocking what you see in the United States versus the rest of the world. So let's talk about the the recent changes in Congress, right? So they did pass the first significant bill on gun safety in decades in the wake of these recent killings, one of which was that, you know, there were 10 black supermarket shoppers gunned down in upstate New York and then 21 young children slayed in an elementary school in Texas. But at the same time, the US Supreme Court did rule that Americans have a fundamental right to carry a handgun in public, which is a landmark decision with far-reaching implications. So it still shows that American society is... I, I think there are proponents for gun control, but it looks like the court is in ruling, ruling in favour of allowing Americans to continue to bear arms, at least. So it's... There doesn't seem to be an easy resolution. Yeah, it's very sobering realisation and I hope we don't need to report this all the time. Anyway, let's shift to another topic. Any other stories that caught your attention, Shaoning? Uh, I've got a story out of Bloomberg and interestingly, this is an article that says that Biden is close to, roll back, close to rolling back some of the Chinese tariffs mm. to fight inflation. So apparently he may announce as soon as this week a rollback on some of the US tariffs on Chinese consumer goods. But at the same time, there'll be a new probe into industrial subsidies that could lead to more duties in strategic areas like technology. But this is not a final decision and the timing could happen later, actually. What struck me with this whole issue about inflation is that this whole inflation theme has been basically setting back Joe Biden's whole agenda, not only with respect to his position on China, but even on climate change, right, where he's trying to get uh, the oil oil majors to pump more oil to basically add more supply to the market. Inflation isn't only a short-term issue, it's also having long-term repercussions to his political agenda as well. For sure, because the midterms are coming up, right? Very, very soon. And I think he needs to be seen as a man that's in control because, you know, uh, the reality is that any president that faces any a recession in his first term usually never gets elected again in the second term. So he needs to walk the talk, right? That he's, you know, aware that the Americans are feeling the heat, uh, literally, because basically, you know, the petrol prices, pump prices are at all-time high, grocery prices are at all-time high. So he needs to be seen doing something about it. Yeah. So he needs to do it, but it comes at the expense of his long-term plan, right? With China especially, you have to capitulate and work with China so that you ease the supply chain. You have to allow more oil and gas, oil drilling in your region so that you can add more supply in. So this really is going to basically break through. I mean, I think crumble his whole agenda, I think, politically as well. I think there's no choice, right? So what is what is your consideration? To address what are the immediate term yeah. needs of your American population or think longer term? And it's it's challenging because... Let's face it, now that everyone is concerned about energy security, the Ukraine war really has put a spotlight on that. So, for example, Germany, right? They clearly wanted to move to renewable energies. Energy, So they stopped all the nuclear power. They stopped their goal, uh, coal. But in turn, then they turned to Russia for gas. But when Russia says, hey, we don't want to play ball anymore, then what happens? 
Mm. You've got no choice, right? You start thinking, okay, I've got to restart my nuclear plants. I've got to continue the coal-fired plants for the moment. And there's so much discussion also about energy security now with the onslaught, whether nuclear is an option. You know, have we got to go to take the nuclear option essentially to provide energy security? And you see like the likes of countries like France that have successfully deployed nuclear and many European countries like the Czech Republic and such are also deploying those alternative energies. So I hope that technology moves faster enough to help us secure long-term energy security for the business as well. Yeah, but it's not a linear transition as we have known. I think uh, we just hope that the the move towards non-fossil fuel sources of energy continue, but perhaps the pace, unfortunately, has decelerated a little bit. Yeah, linear and decelerated. It's 6.46 in the morning and when we come back, we'll be looking at today's local headlines. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. That was Sweet Talking Women by Electric Light Orchestra, dedicated to all you mothers, sisters, wives out there. And also to my current boss here, Wong Xiaoning. She's rolling her eyes. Why are you rolling your eyes? Number one, you call me your boss, which I never see <laughs> myself as your boss. And am I that sweet talking? I thought you all are mm. kind of like... Uh, yeah, actually, I take that back. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. It didn't seem very genuine. <laughs> it's anyway, currently 6.50 in the morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. And right now, we're looking at all the latest news in Malaysia. And can I just start first, the star page for title, A Frog Under a Coconut View. Sarong Minister has called out a past president, Tan Sri Abdul Hadi Wang, Ahadi Awang, for being shallow-minded and insular about the English language. Mm. Basically, he's quoted to say, Arabic is not the language of our region. Does learning Arabic mean we have a colonial mindset? The answer is an emphatic no. Yes. To me, I was like, it's not a zero-sum game, right? Why can't we learn languages and embrace the differences in yeah. the language? And as you learn more languages, I think it improves our competitiveness in terms of the nation, right? And I think English is something... You know, we've had many discussions, like even Daniel Bumbeck, who's the head of the German Chamber of Commerce. One reason why German companies come to Malaysia is because they love it when they arrive, right? It's familiar. They hear English at the airport. They hear English on the road. They hear English when they get into a taxi. They hear English at the hotels. It's not something that... It's familiar. And then they feel, yeah, I can do business here. Communications yes. will be communication is easy. And to be fair, many parts of the country are also shifting towards. They look at our education system, right? For science and maths, we are trying to get as many people to, you know, do science and maths in English language, which is uh, good, I think, in my view. Yeah, so it's not a zero sum game, right? Just because you are improving English doesn't mean it's the, to the de- detriment, detriment of your of na- national language. Why can't it both, you know, like a a rising tide lifts all ships. And we should encourage multilingualism, I think. Definitely improves our competitiveness. Now, other local stories that caught my eye, uh, one of which is this four-day per week proposal not suitable for now, and this is according to QPEX, Okay, uh, I think this has been ongoing, this debate, because of COVID-19, work from home. We've also got a new Employment Act, which allows people to be more flexible. Uh, they can write into their bosses and uh, employers to um, ask for it. I'm not sure the details i'm actually thinking you know how to how what's the process Mm. uh but i think cupex has basically said no it's not a good idea although the public service department which is government has said that it's setting up a special team to study the implementation of four-day working week following a request from uh, different parties so i don't know what the government is going to do whether they're going to be the first one to allow this so in the past we had six day work week we reduced it to five but lengthened the hours right i believe yeah, what by happened an, was by an hour by actually. an hour so usually in the past i remember when i was very young my mom and dad would be working saturday morning nine to twelve and then that would be your 
abolished and then they, they just extended and worked later to 6 guess what i was i'm old enough to have worked on the saturday before <laughs> <laughs> and it was horrible horrible horrible, right. horrible. working on yes. saturday please You know, I never want to go there again. If any company says, Shaoning, you know, we want to hire you, we'll pay you like, you know, 20, 30%. But you have to come in on Saturday. I would really have to think long yes. and hard about it. Unless you really enjoy the job. Unless I really enjoy the job. So I don't think we're ever going to go back there, hopefully. Uh, but other headlines is that we've got a new Malaysia Digital to replace MSC. Did you oh, know that? I, I, I read the news. Pray tell what's so different this time. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> we seem to like to change names, but uh, it's basically, according to our Prime Minister, it serves as a stepping stone for the nation's digital economy to achieve greater heights in the future. It's a signal uh, to the world that Malaysia is ready to be the forefront of global digital economy. Well, so I think the bigger question here is whether we are putting the right skills for our employees and whether we are em- em- you know, pushing it out. And I think this is where the whole debate about this debate about foreign labor coming into the country and then the solution has to be about digitalization. We had even this discussion yesterday, I think evening edition with Refsa about, you know, how do we embrace digitalization? But I wonder whether these programs, which are marquee programs, you bring all these interesting uh, global technologies from around the world to set up operations here. How are we democratizing it and allowing these skills developed everywhere? Yeah, So you, as the country progresses, you don't want pockets of society to be left out in this digital progress, right? Uh, so, you know, are you allowing everyone access to, let's say, for example, the most basic nowadays, which is actually a Wi-Fi? Do they have access to a smartphone? Do they have access to a computer so that there's a certain level of exposure? Those are the questions that we need to answer rather than changing the label of something. But very quickly, this is market-related. You know, for those out there who like small caps, I was actually pretty surprised to find out that the Bursa Small Cap Index, and this is from the CEO Morning Brief at the Edge, has slipped below 14,000 for the yeah. first time in 20 months. Um, I, I think this is indicative of anything that there's definitely a risk-off approach at the moment. And... Also indicated perhaps that retailers are scaling back in terms of their participation on Bursa Malaysia. It's jarring, isn't it? Because this is really, the small caps really reflect retail investor participation, lesser the institutional funds which sit at the higher indexes. Yes. So that's a sentiment, I think, of what's happening on the ground, the appetite for equities in the short term at the moment. Yeah, because you keep seeing the global headlines, right? That inflation is here, the Fed is raising rates. And even in Malaysia on Wednesday, the uh, MPC com- will meet at Bank Negara to decide whether to raise rates. I think expectations are that maybe we could get a 25 uh, bips hike. Uh, there's no choice, right? Inflation is here. As I think we've discussed with many pundits, we expect more choppy watchers for equities. We're heading into the 7am news bulletin and when we come back, we'll be looking at how markets closed yesterday. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.